thousand generations of Jedi Knights and the Guardians of Peace, Justice, and Law Welcome back to People's History of the Old Republic, episode 7.6, The Sins of the Father. Last time we said our goodbyes to Revan, saw the resurrection of the Sith Emperor, and introduced you to the Eternal Empire of Zakul. This time we cover the rise and fall of the Eternal Empire, the actual final death of the Sith Emperor, and meet the Alliance. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in Legends. Uh, we have a brief canon update real quick here at the beginning. As you may know, Season 2 of The Mandalorian premiered last week, and the first episode contained uh, what appears to be an unofficial adaptation of a quest from Knights of the Old Republic. Um, in The Mandalorian, the titular character teams up with a sheriff named Cobb Vanth to stop a crate to stop a crate dragon from harassing settlers and local Tuscans on Tatooine. The Mandalorian, Vanth, the settlers, and the Tuscans team up to lure the crate dragon out of its cave in the Dune Sea and kill it with explosives just like that one mission from KOTOR you're probably thinking of right now. You'll recall that back in episode 5.4, we discussed Revan's search for the star map on Tatooine. After investigation, Revan, Bastila, and another companion travel out into the dune sea but find a crate dragon has nested in the cave where the star map is located revan and friends team up with a local bounty hunter named comad fortuna to lure the crate dragon out and kill it with explosives gaining access to the star map the two missions do play out in slightly different fashion though they aren't necessarily contradictory whereas the mission in kotor involves a small a smaller four-legged canyon crate dragon the mission in the mandalorian was against a greater crate dragon which was much larger and uh, looks like a dune worm both subspecies of crate dragon have been confirmed in canon and legends for some time Additionally, while the Crate Dragon Pearl found in KOTOR was the size of a lightsaber crystal, the one in the Mandalorian was, was huge and round, probably larger than a basketball. Uh, however, these pearls have been shown to power lightsabers in the canon as well, so it could be like a sliver that they use or something like that. Uh, really, the only big difference is their treatment of the Tuscans, and the Mandalorian does that better in KOTOR, they are adversaries who try and stop the player from using a bantha to bait the crate dragon. Uh, in the Mandalorian, they actively help to kill the beast and promise peace with the settlers. All told, it was an excellent adaptation of a KOTOR mission and is a great example of what can be done with the New Republican canon. Hopefully, we'll get to see more soon. Yeah, it was uh, great. Just a genuinely charming episode um i obviously if you're listening to this you're almost certainly watching the mandalorian but they really managed to make the most nuanced portrayal of tuscans in canon we've seen um not just the women and the children but the men all of them nuanced portrayals it was great mm -hmm. yeah it was very it was very good in that regard uh this is just to remind me to uh put in a spoiler warning before I, before that, so <laughs> go ahead, Kelsey. Whenever you're whenever you're ready, I just need to do that because sure, people get mad. <laughs> go ahead. So on to our adventures back through the old republic. We are on part six, 
the Galactic War Ends and the Alliance Revolt Against the Eternal Empire from 3636 to 3630 BBY. Last episode, we ended by setting the stage for SWOTOR's next story expansion, Knights of the Fallen Empire, by introducing the Eternal Empire of Zakul, Emperor Valkorion, and his extremely dysfunctional family. And it's a good thing we did all that background, because we're going to discuss the decline and fall of the Eternal Empire in one episode. This will cover Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne, the game's third and fourth story expansions that last from 3637 to 3630. We'll cover the final expansion, Onslaught, and wrap up Series 7 next episode. When we left off in the narrative in late 3638, we had just concluded Shadow of Revan, Swotor's second expansion, which ended after the Sith Emperor's spirit was resurrected, regained power, and then disappeared. In the weeks that elapsed before Knights of the Fallen Empire kicks off in early 3636, two very important events happen. First, the Sith Emperor consolidated all of his spirit and consciousness within Valkorion, the host body we introduced last time. This consolidation made Valkorion even more powerful, but also left him vulnerable as his entire essence was contained in this single host body. The only connection that remained was to his original pure-blood Sith body, which was hidden away and would need to be destroyed if Valkorion were ever to be truly killed. The second event of the Interregnum was that Valkorion's twin sons, Arkan and Thexan, proposed leading the Eternal Fleet on a series of raids to test the strength of the Republic and Sith. Valkorion agreed but ordered Arkan to stay behind while Thexan led the expedition himself. Arkan disobeyed his father's orders and traveled with Thaxan, leading the Eternal Fleet to attack several worlds in early 3636 in what became known as the Eternal Empire Raids. The first worlds they hit are unknown, but they attacked Republic, Jedi, and Sith targets indiscriminately, decimating each. However, the final world they attacked was not some isolated outpost. It was the ancient Sith homeworld of Korriban, where all Sith begin their training. In the game, the Eternal Empire raids occur entirely off-screen just before the expansion begins and the player hears about them secondhand. However, the raids do appear in Sacrifice, the 2015 cinematic trailer for Knights of the Fallen Empire. Sacrifice. The cinematic is narrated by Doug Bradley, the voice actor for all iterations of of Valkorion, who also played Pinhead in the Hellraiser movies. In Sacrifice, we see shots of Arkan and Thexan growing up and becoming close while Valkorion studiously ignores them. As adults, the twin princes depart for the raids with Arkan visibly angry at their father. Then we see a brief montage of worlds and enemies we can't specifically identify, each falling before the Eternal Empire. A a masked Sith Lord, a Republic soldier, and two Jedi Knights all perish to the trademark yellow lightsabers of Arkan and Thexan. Finally, we see the attack on Korriban. In the Valley of the Dark Lords, Sith warriors and acolytes defend the ancient Sith necropolis under the leadership of a female Twi'lek named Darth Atroxa. 
The Pyramidal Sith Academy takes heavy fire from strafing Zakulan starfighters, and Imperial pilots are blasted out of the sky, their skill no match for the Eternal Fleet's superior ships. Before their defeat, the Sith defended their homeworld bravely, repelling several advances by the Knights of Zakul and nearly killing Arkan. An explosive detonated to Arkan's left, removing his arm and badly scarring much of his face. In the Red Sands of Korriban, Thexan stayed with his brother while medics, while medics saved Arkan's life and fitted him with a cybernetic left arm and cybernetic mask that covered most of his face except for his right cheek and right eye. Arkan recovered and participated in the final push the next day, killing Darth Atroxa himself. With that, the twins returned home to Zakul, knelt, and presented the lightsabers of their fallen fo foes to Valkorion, who turned to ignore his sons once again. But Arkan, seeing his metal arm, remembered his sacrifices and gave in to the dark side for the first time. Arkan's eyes blazed with the sulfuric yellow of someone immersed in the dark side. Without thinking, Arkan stood up, ignited his lightsaber, and force-jumped toward Valkorion, who had his back turned. Of course, Valkorion knew what of course Valkorion knew what was happening and displayed a slight smirk as Thexan used the force to pull his twin brother away. In his rage, Arkan attacked Thexan, Thexan after being force pulled from Valkorion. Thexan ignited his lightsaber and defended himself briefly, but Arkan was too fast while in the thrall of the dark side, killing his twin with a slash to the abdomen. Arkan immediately snapped out of it, but he was too late, and Thexan died in his arms. This use of the dark side and sacrifice was what Valkorion wanted from his sons all along, and he finally turned to Arkan. Showing his true colors, Valkorion allowed his burning yellow dark side eyes to shine through and extended his hand to Arkan, finally calling him son after so long. With that, the cinematic fades to black. Valkorion wanted his sons to embrace the dark side, and after more than 25 years of serious contempt, one of them finally did. Of course, now Arkan just wanted him dead. Counterattack. As Knights of the Fallen Empire begins, the player takes control of their chosen class character with the original companions and starship just moments after the attack on Korriban. After learning scattered details about the attacks, the player receives an invitation from Darth Mar, who is leading a mixed expeditionary force to stop these mysterious raids. The player agrees to join Mar and departs their companions and ship permanently, putting aside their old title and becoming the commander and or the outlander. Coincidentally, this is also the exact same time when either seven or eight or all eight class characters disappear, depending on how technical you want to be. We talked about it last episode when we capped the class character storylines, but we want to note that this is the time, in early 3636, when the disappearance actually occurs. The commander and Darth Maher then led a fleet into wild space, chasing after the unknown fleet that leveled Korriban. Unfortunately for the mixed fleet, they weren't just chasing pirates or rogues, and they proved to be no match for the Eternal Fleet. Soon, Mars' flagship was the only vessel that remained after they had been infiltrated by stormtroopers or by skytroopers. Mar and the commander fought as long as they both could, 
but they were both rendered unconscious and captured before Mara's flagship was destroyed. Darth Mar and the commander awoke, shackled on a Zakulin transport ship, traveling toward a golden mega skyscraper at the center of the spire, Zakul's capital city. This golden tower reaches all the way into orbit and is the seat of the Eternal Throne, which controls the Eternal Fleet and the Gemini droids. Before the Eternal Throne... Mar and the commander immediately knew Valkorion to be the reborn Sith Emperor. Valkorion claimed that all his other works had been little more than means to an end and, the eternal, and that the Eternal Empire was his priority the whole time. He gave Mar a chance to kneel, but Mar rejected Valkorion, killing three knights before being blasted to death with Force Lightning. Valkorion then cleared the room, leaving only himself, Arkan, and the commander, and gave the commander a chance to kneel, but was rejected out of hand. Arkan was told to execute the commander, but instead freed them, choosing this time to take revenge against Valkorion. Arkan attacked with his lightsaber, but Valkorion deflected each strike using the force like a, deflected, like a deflecting bubble before blasting Arkan with force lightning. By then, the commander retrieved one of the dead guard's lightsabers and ignited it through Valkorion's back. Valkorion laughed hauntingly before a blast of force energy exploded from his body, knocking the commander unconscious. Arkan recovered and told Valen that the commander had assassinated their father. Arkan announced news of Valkorion's assassination to Zakul's citizens and was subsequently hailed as emperor. Leaving out his own attempted assassination, Arkan labeled the commander an outlander who led, who, who led a group sent by warmongering governments to kill their beloved emperor. Using this as a casus belli, Emperor Arkan ordered a full-scale scale invasion of the known galaxy to take revenge. Unbeknownst to all, Valkorion had survived by linking his consciousness to the commander's mind as his final host body died. The commander and Valkorion's consciousness were frozen in carbonite where they would remain for five years. Everything that happens between Arkan's ascension in 3636 to the commander's unfreezing in 3631 occurs off screen, meaning we have very little info about it. We know the broad strokes, but that's about it. The Galactic War Ends Once Arkan ordered the invasion, the end of the Galactic War was nigh. The Eternal Fleet attacked the Republic and the Sith simultaneously, and within three months, the Eternal Fleet had established naval superiority over its enemies. By the end of 3636, Coruscant and Dromund Kass were both blockaded. The Dark Council mostly dissolved when Darth Mar failed to return from wild space, leaving the Sith Empire in shambles. The Republic had its own problems as Supreme Chancellor Saresh vowed to fight both enemies simultaneously. Shuresh's actions got thousands killed before the Galactic Senate reasserted control. The Jedi continued to fight valiantly, but they were overwhelmed and their losses mounted until the Order was broken. Fearing a purge that would lead to their extinction, the Jedi Council unofficially disbanded the Order and the remaining members went into hiding or exile. We don't know how many Jedi were left, but it couldn't have been more than a couple hundred. In early 3635, both the Republic and Sith sued for peace, sending Senator Evran and Darth 
Vauron to Zakul as their respective emissaries. Arkan's terms were harsh. The Republic and Sith each agreed to pay heavy tributes of resources and star fortresses. Massive space station weapons were placed above important worlds to keep them docile. Star fortresses went up above Alderaan, Belsavis, Vos, Bofawai, and many more. The Republic and Sith were allowed to continue governing their own affairs as long as they acknowledged Daikul's supremacy. Essentially, the Galactic Republic and Sith Empire agreed to become vassals to Zakul, and their respective treaties with the Eternal Empire ended the Galactic War in 3635 after seven years. During the four years between the end of the Galactic War and Benico thawing the commander, we know very little. Following the Sith surrender in 3635, Darth Asina took advantage of the power vacuum to declare herself Empress. In the Republic, Shares was ousted as Supreme Chancellor, but had one of his cronies installed as a puppet. In this way, Shares continued to rule and refused to even consider an alliance against the Eternal Empire. The Jedi were broken and scattered, either hiding in small bands or in solo exile. So it was that the Eternal Empire unofficially ruled the galaxy for four years, from 3635 to 3631. Raising the Gravestone Back in the game, we move inside the Commander's Mind Palace, where they have an extended dialogue with, with Valkorion. Within the Commander's Mind, we see scenes of their past battles and of their former companions fighting together as the Commander and Valkorion chat. Valkorion informs the Commander that five years have passed in Carbonite and that the Eternal Empire now runs the galaxy. He also says that the Carbonite freezing process was imperfect and that Valkorion's presence is the only thing keeping both of them alive. Despite Valkorion's penchant for deception, he's being truthful here. The dialogue then shifts quickly from empires to the forest to the commander's love life. Valkorion admits that he cannot defeat his children alone, so he tempts the commander with promises of power and riches. Valkorion would instill his consciousness in another host body, make the commander his heir, and together they would retake control of the Eternal Empire. The commander flatly refused, though Valkorion promised to enact his plan regardless. The screen fades to black, and the next thing we see is Lana Benico thawing the commander from Carbonite within Arkan's vault on Zakul. Benico administered medicine to account for the thawing sickness and the improper freezing. From there, they just had to escape a giant golden skyscraper filled with thousands of battle droids, legions of knights of Zakul, and a very angry Valen. But Lana came prepared for the rescue with allies she made after years of searching for the commander. Benico brought along the hero of Tython's former astromech T-701, an HK-55 series assassination droid, and a former captain in the Eternal Fleet who defected named Koth Vortena. All three aided in the commander's escape, but the getaway shuttle was shot down in the endless swamps that surround the spire. Luckily, they crash-landed near the Gravestone, the legendary ship that had once scuttled the Eternal Fleet on Zakul in the first place. The ship is a light frigate of unknown design with a distinctive set of fins at the nose of the ship surrounding its primary weapon, called the Omnicannon. The Gravestone's Omnicannon fired green blasts of energy that would spread outward upon hitting an object destroying nearby ships or other objects. 
the team worked to get the gravestone operational, and their effort was saved when Senya Tiral, another of Benico's allies, intervened. After fighting off waves of Zakulin pursuers, they finally got the ship in the sky and used one shot from the Omni Cannon to destroy more than two dozen Eternal Fleet ships that were blocking their escape vector. With a path cleared, the Gravestone jumped to hyperspace but sustained damage in the process. They landed on Asylum, a world in wild space but free from the Eternal Empire's clutches, at least momentarily. The Battle of Asylum Kothwartina and a group of engineers worked to repair the gravestone while Anna filled the commander in on five years of galactic history. The commander then revealed that Valkorian survived in their mind, which was unexpected to say the least. Senya Toral then revealed that she was Arcan and Valen's mother and had joined the mission to save her children. The group also met an unshackled AI droid named Scorpio, who had been one of Cypher 9's companions prior to their disappearance. Scorpio was able to interact with the gravestone more easily than the organics and was invited to join the group. Unfortunately for our heroes, the rest, their rest wouldn't last very long as their location was betrayed to the Eternal Empire. Arcan rushed to Asylum in his personal ship and killed Arcan rushed to, rushed to Asylum in his personal ship. The commander spotted Arcan and went to warn their allies as the Eternal Fleet dropped out of hyperspace overhead. There was no way for our, there was no way our heroes could hope to defeat such overwhelming odds, but they could outrun them after Mortena repaired the gravestone's hyperdrive. Unfortunately, the Omni Cannon was still out of commission, so they would have to use the ship's turbo laser cannons in a fight. While attempting to disengage the Gravestone's landing camps, clamps, the Commander and HK-55 were attacked by Arcan. A fight ensued that saw Arcan get the upper hand, and HK-55 sacrificed himself to save the Commander from a blast of force energy. Valkorian offered to unite their minds and share their power to defeat Arcan, a suggestion the Commander refused, but Arcan learned that his father still lived. Arcan stabbed the commander in the shoulder with his lightsaber and went in for the kill, but Lana Benico arrived just in time to force-push Arcan off the platform. Benico dragged the injured commander back to the gravestone, where Valen and Senya Tyrrell fought a pitched lightsaber duel. During the duel, Senya had the chance to kill Valen, but couldn't do it and retreated to the gravestone. Scorpio piloted the ship while Koth and others manned the ship's onboard guns before the jump to hyperspace. In the wake of the Battle of Asylum, the Eternal Fleet leveled the planet, but the galaxy also learned that the Eternal Empire wasn't invincible. Without any leads on the commander's location, Arcan ordered reprisal bombardments of five inhabited worlds. The worlds were turned into smoldering ruins by the Eternal Fleet, but yielded no new leads, so Arcan stopped them. The rescue of the Outlander and subsequent Battle of Asylum in 3631 touched off the Alliance revolt against the Eternal Empire, an ongoing conflict that lasts until 3630 and spawns several small conflicts that last until 3628. After fleeing Asylum, the Gravestone exited hyperspace above a world called Odessum on the fringes of wild space that Lana Benico found by 
Following the call of the Force, Odessin was a Force nexus of great power where light and dark were in perfect alignment. Unbeknownst to all, Odessin is where Grandmaster Satel Shan went into exile in 3636. Later, Shan and the Force Ghost of Darth Mar helped the Commander build a new powerful weapon to be used against Arcan. Now there are in-universe issues with Mar having a Force Ghost, but we're going to ignore it, as they were only... <coughs> Sorry. They were the only story still going in Legends, so they get a little leeway. Following this, Sean left Odessa after fleeing, feeling the call of the Force, and though the wider galaxy wouldn't find out for some time, she began quietly rebuilding the Jedi and Broken Coruscant. The Alliance. The Gravestone and other ships filled with Benico's contacts landed on Odessa. At the time, it was a small ragtag group, but they soon began building the headquarters of the resistance efforts against the Eternal Empire. At the time, the group on Odessin had less than 30 members, but they agreed to put aside their differences to defeat the Eternal Empire, officially forming the Alliance in 3631. The commander was appointed to lead the Alliance with Lana Benico and a newly arrived Theron Shan, becoming second and third in command, respectively. Though the Alliance would eventually grow to include members from every walk of galactic life, support on that scale wouldn't come until after the first Battle of Odessin in mid-3630. To defeat the Eternal Fleet, the Alliance needed a larger fleet, ground armies, and the supporting personnel that those forces required. They also had to find a way to sabotage the Eternal Fleet as it was simply too strong to be, de- it was, it was simply too strong to be defeated openly regardless of how overpowered the Omnicanon was or how large their alliance became. The most obvious weak spot for the Eternal Fleet were the Gemini droids that served as the crew and pilots of all Zakulan ships. If you can slice the droids, you can control the fleet. With this in mind, alliance missions had two goals, recruiting more members and sabotaging the Eternal Fleet. Alliance missions usually involved small strike teams because they couldn't risk open battle. It was around this time that a mission to Alderaan freed the planet from its star fortress, allowing the planet to rejoin the Republic after 12 years of civil war and then subjugation by the Eternal Empire. In the early missions, many of the allies recruited were companions of the class characters, including Arik Jorgen, Kaleo Janus, Reina Temple, Gliz, Vet, Galt, Renau, and others. In one such early mission, the Alliance stole schematics for the Spire, including the Golden Tower where the Eternal Throne sits and its deep subterranean structures. Scorpio determined that the Eternal Empire controlled all Gemini droids via a master signal called the Gemini Frequency. The frequency was generated by a hyperwave relay station buried 10,000 meters underground beneath the spire. In another mission, the Alliance attempted to seize control of the Gemini frequency, but suffered heavy casualties before escaping with only the Data Coral. Though their main objective failed, the Data Core showed that the Gemini frequency is produced by a single Gemini Prime droid. If the Alliance could steal a Gemini Prime droid and plug it into the captain's console on any Eternal Empire ship, they could hijack the frequency, taking control of the fleet. Because all Gemini droids are built on Darvanus, 
the Alliance had its next target. For this mission, the Alliance brought in some old friends who were big players during the Great Galactic War. Theron Chan called in a favor to Hilo Viz, the smuggler who broke the blockade of the Hydean Way in 3660. Viz then recruited Shea Vizla, who took the title of Mandalore the Avenger around 3637. Vizla fought as a Sith ally from 3667 to 3653 before joining the Yavin Coalition last episode. Vizla was joined by Torian Kadera, a former companion of the Hunter and many Mandalorian warriors. Scorpio's Betrayal So it was that in late 3631, the Alliance members successfully raided Darvanus in Hut's base. They overwhelmed local defenses, allowing the commander to retrieve a Gemini Prime droid and the Mandalorians to rearm. With a Gemini Prime in hand, the Alliance only needed a single Eternal Fleet warship to seize control. A team of Alliance members took the Gravestone to a lone Eternal Fleet warship and infiltrated it. The Alliance members were delayed by the ship's captain, who was always two steps ahead. The Gemini captain forced the invaders to split up multiple times and generally wreaked havoc on the mission. Scorpio finally gained direct access to the Gemini captain and pretended to erase it the captain's memory, but had actually betrayed the Alliance. Upon gaining access, Scorpio made a secret nonverbal deal with the captain. The Gemini captain would allow Scorpio to transfer her consciousness into the Gemini frequency and continue delaying her allies in exchange for being granted free will. Scorpio granted the captain free will, and once her consciousness was uploaded, the Gemini captain seemingly killed Scorpio by destroying her physical body. Within the Gemini frequency, Scorpio destroyed the Gemini Prime droid on the gravestone and disabled the ship's signal jammer long enough for the Gemini captain to send a distress call to Zakul. The Alliance defeated the Gemini captain, who mockingly revealed Scorpio's deception before similarly uploading her consciousness into the Gemini frequency. With the ship set to self-destruct, the remaining Alliance members escaped as the Eternal Fleet arrived. With Arcan and Valen absent from Zakul, Scorpio staged a coup using the Gemini using the Gemini frequency. Scorpio ordered Sky Troopers in the Spire to fight the Knights of Zakul. Scorpio then had a new droid body built, installed her personality in it, and usurped the Eternal Throne, taking control of the Gemini frequency and most of the Eternal Fleet. Scorpio intentionally left part of the fleet under Arcan's control to manipulate the Eternal Empire into attacking the Alliance and having her enemies destroy one another. Scorpio gave Arcan the Alliance's location, warned the Alliance of the impending attack, and sat back to watch the firework. The First Battle of Odessa Swotor's third story expansion, Knights of the Fallen Empire, ends with the First Battle of Odessin in early 3630. When the Alliance received Scorpio's warning, they gathered every ship under their control in orbit and arrayed them in a defensive formation around the fully operational Gravestone to protect Odessin. What remained of the Eternal Fleet dropped out of hyperspace and the space battle was joined. Theron Chan fired the Omni Cannon on Arkan's flagship, the only ship capable of withstanding a shot, disabling its shields with a full blast. If the Eternal Fleet landed on Odessa, the Alliance and the world would both be destroyed, 
so they detached a strike team to infiltrate and destroy Arcan's flagship. Scorpio then remotely took down the Omni Cannon after briefly gaining control of the Gravestone, but was permanently locked down the ship's systems thanks to Koth Mortena and Theron Chan. After successfully infiltrating the flagship, Senya went in search of Valen, while the rest of the fought their way to Arcan, where the commander fought Arcan alone. Arcan initially restrained the commander in an attempt to speak with Valkorion, who remained silent. Commander broke free of their restraints in a duel ensued that saw Arcan get the upper hand until the commander drew upon Valkorion's spirit to gain an edge. The commander had Arcan at their mercy, but Scorpio chose that exact moment to assert control over the remaining ships in Arcan's fleet, part of the Eternal Fleet, and fire upon his flagship. These simultaneous blasts destabilized the flagship and it began to break apart, with much of the bridge collapsing on Arcan. All Alliance members made it back to the gravestone except Senya, who couldn't be found. With no time left, the Omni Cannon fired on Arcan's flagship, obliterating it and every nearby ship in the Eternal Fleet. Tyrol then contacted the gravestone, having escaped with Arcan's broken body in an escape pod. Senya was intent on redeeming her son, and the commander allowed her to allowed them to escape. The first battle of Odessa was an unqualified success for the Alliance having destroyed about one-third of the Eternal Fleet in a single blast. The battle also served to swell the Alliance ranks as both the Republic and the Sith began talks to officially join. Swutor, Knights of the Eternal Throne There isn't much to say by way of introduction to Knights of the Eternal Throne. Released in December 2016, the game's fourth story expansion picks up right where Knights of the Fallen Empire leaves off in early 3630. This expansion allows players to wrap up the Eternal Empire's story and kill off Valkorion permanently. In Knights of the Eternal Throne, male and female characters may begin a new romance with Arkin. Swator's fourth expansion also received the game's fifth and final cinematic trailer called Betrayed, which was released in October 2016. Betrayed. We discussed many of the events portrayed in the cinematic when introducing Valkorion's family in the last episode. It begins with Valen's happy childhood before Valkorion took her away to have her mind conditioned on Nathema. We see her go from a scared girl with long blonde hair to a teen covered in ritualistic tattoos and a shaved head. When Senya came to rescue her, Valen chose to stay with Valkorion as she blamed basically everything wrong in her life on her mom. Up to the very end, we don't have a clear date for anything in the cinematic. It's simply short moments from Valen and Senya's lives. Then as we arrive in the present day, just days after the Battle of Odessan. Then we arrive in the present day, just days after the Battle of Odessan. Senya arrives late at night on Ord Mantel with a seriously injured Arcan looking for her loyal Knights of Zakul. Senya uses the light from a blue lightsaber to search the darkened battlefield strewn with her, with her loyal Knights who were slaughtered by Empress Valen earlier in the day and left as bait. As the cinematic ends, Valen uses force lightning to light up leaking fuel from, a, from nearby damaged ships and then engaging in the rare mother-daughter lightsaber duel. 
The two fought back and forth through the flames until Valen's lightsaber hit an exposed hyperdrive, causing a massive explosion that would have killed them both had Valen not shielded both of them with the Force. Senya used the confusion to escape with Arkin, and Valen would later rue saving her mother on Ord Mantell. Arkan's Redemption In the wake of the Battle of Odessan, Valen returned to Zykul and seized the Eternal Throne from Scorpio, who willingly relinquished it after granting all Gemini droids free will, claiming that was her only goal. Valen was hailed as Empress and she took Scorpio as her first lieutenant. Senya, meanwhile, fled to Vaz with Arkan's comatose body, hoping that the legendary Shrine of Healing there could fix her son. After Valen's trap on Ord Mantel failed, she learned that Senya and Arkan were on Vos. Summoning the Eternal Fleet, Valen led them to Vos in 3630 and and prepared to scorch the Earth to kill her remaining family. Luckily, Theron Chan was on Vos when the invasion began and he alerted the Alliance who hastily mustered their fleet, bound for Vos, though the Gravestone was out on another mission at the time. The invasion began immediately with orbital bombardments and indiscriminate slaughter, killing millions of civilians by the time the Alliance arrived, sans gravestone. The commander and their companions used a stolen shuttle to bypass the Eternal Empire's blockade. On the ground, Alliance members worked with Voss soldiers to protect civilians in the capital of Voska, but were interrupted by Senya Tural begging the commander for aid. Tyrol promised that Arkan would join the Alliance once healed, though this was an unpopular idea for obvious reasons. Regardless, the Alliance made their way to the Shrine of Healing thanks to a little timely intervention from the Gravestone. At the Shrine of Healing, the commander agreed to hold off Eternal Empire forces long enough to allow the Voss mystics to finish the ritual on Arkan. Lana and a group of Mandalorians defended the main entrance while the commander and Theron collapsed in the tunnel leading down into the Shrine. Senya then ordered the Voss mystics to heal Archon by transferring her strength to her son. Archon was immediately cured, but Senya fell into a coma during the ritual. When Archon awoke, he was confused and managed to flee Voss in a shuttle during an intense firefight. The Alliance members retreated with Senya's comatose body, but they had no way to escape the planet as the Eternal Empire's forces closed in. In space, the Gravestone and the Alliance fleet tried to free a path for their ground forces to escape, but the Eternal fleet overwhelmed them. Just when all seemed lost, the Sith fleet dropped out of hyperspace, blindsiding the Eternal fleet. Empress Asina decided to lend her support to the Alliance at the last possible moment. The Sith and Alliance fleets then combined to rout the Eternal fleet in a brief space battle. Seeing the battle as a lost cause, many Gemini captains ignored Valen's orders to fight and fled to Zakul as an act of self-preservation, which was only possible because Scorpio granted them free will. Valen was enraged, but there was nothing to be done and she ordered the retreat of all Eternal Empire forces. In the aftermath, the Alliance officially joined, or the Republic officially joined the Alliance, as did the Jedi, though they were still very scattered. The commander, Lana Benico, and Theron Sean went to Droman Kaas to discuss, discuss Sith membership in the Alliance. 
During the talks, Gino Harridan assassins unsuccessfully attempted to kill the commander and Darth Sina. The attackers were quickly dispatched, and evidence showed that former Supreme Chancellor Suresh was behind the attempt. Back on Odessan, Suresh was attempting his coup by claiming that, that the commander had died. Upon seeing the commander alive and well, Suresh tried to flee but was cornered and imprisoned, though she claimed her actions were fully justified. With everything under control, the commander spoke with Empress Asina and the Sith Empire formally joined the alliance. By mid-3630, the Eternal Empire was beginning to have some issues. They were losing skirmishes and battles to some petty coalition government. The Eternal Fleet had lost one-third of its original fleet strength, and the Gemini droids that crew the Eternal Fleet's ships had been granted free will. Intent on neutralizing the Alliance's greatest weapon, Valen, Scorpio, and some Knights of Zakul infiltrated the Gravestone by posing as a stranded civilian ship. Once aboard, they imprisoned most of the crew, but Koth Vortena was able to send a distress call to Odessin and locked Scorpio out of the ship's systems. Unsurprisingly, Scorpio double-crossed Valen and aided the Alliance as she wanted to keep the gravestone intact at all costs. With the mission taking longer than expected, the Alliance fleet sent a support team to the gravestone consisting of Baron Shan, Kaleo Janus, Torian Kadera, Arik Jorgen, and Vet. Meanwhile, Lana Benico dueled Valen and was knocked unconscious, but the commander intervened to save their friend. Valen and the commander then fought with Valen, taking the advantage and nearly killing the commander before Valkorian's spirit intervened, seeming to freeze time. Father and daughter argued briefly before Valen attempted to kill the commander again. As the Empress brought her lightsaber down, Valkorian uttered the secret code phrase that Valen was conditioned with on Anathema, kneel before the dragon of Zakul. Suddenly, time returned to normal and Valen was unable to harm anyone no matter how hard she tried. Scared and confused, Valen fled for her transport shuttle while the commander and Lana Benico rendezvoused with other Alliance members. Unbeknownst to all, Scorpio had used the time to slice into the gravestone systems and take full control of the ship. Within the ship's files, Scorpio found the location of Lokath and ordered the remainder of the Eternal Fleet to jump to those coordinates with the gravestone following closely on their heels. The ships dropped out of hyperspace above Lokath, a massive artificial world that was actually a habitable Dyson sphere built around a star. The Gravestone and Eternal Fleet were both pulled down to Lokath via a tractor beam, and then a flash of bright light rendered all organic beings unconscious. Iocath. Sometime between 7,000 to 5,000 BBY, a humanoid species built Iocath. This species was the most technically technologically advanced civilization of its time, though it operated in total secrecy in world space and the unknown regions. They built advanced tech, tested it on other worlds, and then returned to Iocath to refine their designs. This went on for centuries, and this Iocath species created the Eternal Fleet, the Gravestone, Scorpio, and much more. Finally, they fell, they fell to civil war, turning their own weapons against one another until every member of the species was dead. 
Before their deaths, however, scientists buried some of their creations on scattered worlds in wild space so they wouldn't be used by others. The death of all organic life on Iocath left Ares, a fully unshackled AI droid, as the only self-aware being on the planet. When the ships arrived above Iocath, Ares drew it, drew it in with a tractor beam before using a super weapon that could render beings unconscious with a bright flash of light. This unknown super weapon is the 21st of our story so far. Ares then arranged everyone in the gravestone in random spots around Iocath to test their skills in different battle scenarios because why the hell not? Each member of the Alliance survived and met up, forming a plan to defeat Ares and flee. Scorpio had also escaped her prison and informed the commander that Ares intended to fire the flash of light superweapon again, this time setting it to bathe the entire world in radiation and killing every organic being there. The commander and Vet went to deal with Ares while the rest of the Alliance got the gravestone ready to fly. Ares got the slip on the commander, but Scorpio shot her fellow droid in the back, destroying him permanently. Scorpio then stated her intent to upload her consciousness to Iocath, becoming one with the artificial world and removing her as a threat to the galaxy. Scorpio left her physical body behind forever, returning home after thousands of years. Within Iocath, Scorpio transmitted designs to upgrade the gravestone with tech from Iocath, but was unable to dis- to deactivate the superweapon. The commander met up, met up with the gravestone, fleeing Iocath moments before it was bathed in radiation. Empress Valen also fled to hyperspace with much of the Eternal Fleet, but some ships were caught in the radiation and destroyed. Following the escape from Locath in late 3630, the Eternal Fleet stood at roughly half the strength it had when Commander was freed in early 3631. However, Valen used a hijacked droid from Logar to remotely reset all Gemini captains to their original factory setting sans free will. A short time later, in late 3630, Valen held a grand festival to celebrate her reign and the recent victories over the Alliance. However, Valen was betrayed by a jealous minister who snuck Theron Shan and the Commander into the party in exchange for freeing some rebels. The commander and Theron got the jump on Valen during her speech by saying the code phrase, kneel before the dragon of Zakul, and exposing her weakness to all her subjects. Then all hell broke loose when Arcan crashed the party with loyalists looking to dethrone Valen for her crimes. The commander and Theron freed the rebels and caught up with Arcan just in time to see Valen escape. To the commander's surprise, Arcan humbly asked to join the alliance to atone for his past sins. With some hesitation, the commander agreed, but it seems Arcan was really healed on Voss. He freely admitted to his crimes and seemed more concerned with the commander being a puppet to Valkorian than anything else. He even got rid of the mask that previously covered the left side of his face, something only a good guy would do. Before fleeing, Valen turned her ships on the palace in an attempt to kill her enemies, but the orbital bombardment indiscriminately killed thousands of civilians. This, along with her public humiliation, caused half the Eternal Empire civilians to join the Open Revolt. Valen then traveled to Nathema, intent on freeing herself from mental conditioning while members of the Alliance grudgingly accepted Arcan after some cajoling from the commander. 
The Alliance learned of Valen's intentions and followed covert covertly. The Nathema Zealots performed a ritual that removed all of Valen's mental conditioning, leaving her power unchecked, which she displayed by crushing the hull of a ship with the Force. However, the trip to Nathema wasn't a total loss for the Alliance as they discovered Lord Dramath's holocron within Valkorion's vault. The holocron was created by Valkorion 1,473 years before in 5,103 BBY to imprison and torture his father, Lord Dramath. Over that time, Lord Dramath learned how the holocron could be used to, Val to kill Valkorion spirit once and for all. Because Nathema was a void in the forest, Valkorion spirit was unable to see the commander's actions there, and thus the holocron's discovery went unnoticed. The commander and friends escaped with the holocron as Valen turned her guns on the sanctum where she had been tortured for years, destroying the last structure standing on Nathema. With her newly expanded force powers, Valen ordered the Eternal Fleet to immediately assault Odessan in an attempt to destroy the Alliance. The Alliance members followed her to Odessan after receiving an emergency distress call of the Eternal Empire's arrival. The Second Battle of Odessan This battle serves as the big set-piece finale that has been set up through Knights of the Fallen Empire and Knights of the Eternal Throne. Empress Valen has the Eternal Fleet in tow, and she's prepared for a final showdown with the Alliance on Odessa in late 3630. When the enemy fleet dropped out of hyperspace, the Alliance warned Theron Chan before comms were jammed and scrambled their fleet to defend Odessa. The Alliance fleet, now a mix of Republic, Imperial, and Irregular ships, was even in terms of fleet strength, despite the Eternal Fleet still holding the advantages in speed and firepower. The Alliance fleet put up a tremendous fight, but they needed the Gravestone if they were able to have any shot at surviving. Unfortunately for the Alliance, the Gravestone was stuck in Dryadoc as it received upgrades transmitted by Scorpio from Locath. Protecting the Gravestone from Eternal Empire assaults became the overriding priority of all Alliance personnel, whether fighting in orbit or on the ground. Initial advances were pushed back by a mixture of Voss Mystics and Mandalorians, while Koth Vortena and his engineers rushed to bring all systems online. Outside the ship, knights of Zakul and Skytroopers broke through the first line and attempted to cut the ship's hull to gain entry. However, Senya Tyrol and Arkan arrived and pushed the Eternal Empire's forces away from the Gravestone once again. Meanwhile, the commander and Lana Benico landed on Odessa, commandeered an Eternal Empire walker, and used it to clear enemy forces away from the gravestone. Theron Chan took the shuttle behind enemy lines to cause havoc there. Just as another wave was about to advance, Vortena got the gravestone in the air and blasted off to aid the Alliance fleet. Despite adding the gravestone's formidable power, it was immediately clear the Alliance fleet had already lost too many ships to defeat the Eternal fleet. This led the commander to switch tactics choosing instead to goad Valen out of her flagship and into a duel on the surface of Odessa. That didn't turn out to be very hard because, as we've seen, Valen is easily antagonized and mentally unstable. Senya Tyrol and Arkan accompanied the commander to meet Valen, while Alliance ground forces did their best to hold the Eternal Empire at bay. 
Before the duel begins, Valen will have captured either Torian, Kadera, or Vet, depending on who the commander chose to save earlier in the battle. Before the duel begins, Valen feigns letting the prisoner go before snapping their neck with the force. At that, lightsabers were ignited and the duel began. Free of her mental conditioning, Valen unleashed her newfound power, even taking advantage of one point. Valen held her own for some time, but in the end it was still a three-on-one fight and the frantic pace caused Valen to tire. Eventually the Empress was brought to her knees. The commander gave Valen the chance to surrender, but she instead summoned a massive force storm that threatened to destroy the Alliance base. Seeing this, the commander knew what had to be done and stabbed Valen through the chest with a lightsaber, killing her instantly. It was taken for granted that Valen's death would immediately put an end to the threat of the Eternal Empire, but that was only partially correct. Yes, the Knights of Zakul gave up the fight after their Empress's death, but the Eternal Fleet did not. Valen's death left the Eternal Throne unclaimed, and when no new instructions came across the Gemini frequency, the Eternal Fleet reverted to its original purpose, destroying all life in the galaxy. So when Valen died, the Gemini captains divided up and attacked Coruscant, Dromenkost, and Zakul simultaneously. The only solution was to assume the Eternal Throne and take control of the Eternal Fleet, a task that fell to the commander. The final death of Valkorion. The commander immediately went to Zakul, accompanied by Lana Benico, Senya Tural, and Arkham. The spire was in complete anarchy as sky troopers fought knights of Zakul and the Alliance battled their way to the top floor. By then, Valkorion was aware that they had Dramath Holocron, but dismissed it as a useless trinket. Though we haven't seen much of Alcorian in Knights of the Eternal Throne, his connection to the Commander has grown incredibly strong in recent months. Within the throne room, Arcan proclaimed that the Commander was truly worthy to claim the Eternal Throne. The Commander then sat upon the Eternal Throne, which sent a shock through their body and immediately ordered the Eternal Fleet to cease and desist. Across the galaxy, the Eternal Fleet worship stopped firing and retreated to Zakul. However, Valkorion used this moment to assert his dominance, forcing the commander to kneel and knocking him unconscious, knocking them unconscious. Senya and Arkan were delayed from helping the commander because skytroopers breached the throne room. Valkorion intended to hollow out the commander's mind and use them as a host body, as he had done this so many times before. On Odessa, Valkorion had absorbed in his slave Valen's spirit when she died, meaning that she also lived within the commander's mind. With Valen enslaved to his will, Valkorion could use the code phrase on the commander and make them powerless to fight Valkorion's takeover. The player awakens within their own psyche and has to cleanse corrupted memories before finding a representation of Dramath's holocron and regaining their identity. Valkorion appeared and summoned Valen's spirit to defeat the commander, but she was defeated. However, Valkorion restored her spirit using the Force, and she rose to fight again, but the commander countered, using Dramath's holocron to free Valen's spirit from her father's enslavement. Arkan then joined them from the physical world, using Dramath's holocron as a conduit. Arkan and the commander convinced Valen to join them, and the trio fought Valkorion together, but it wasn't enough. Valkorion was just too strong in the Force, and he forced his enemies to kneel before destroying 
the representation of Dermoth's hologram. At this point, things looked very bad for the commander and friends. Valkorin prepared to take full possession of the commander's body and use the Eternal Fleet to truly subjugate the galaxy. But the commander had regained full control of their mind and used their trump card. The commander then spoke the code phrase, kneel before the battle, the power of Zakul. Oh god. Kneel before the dragon of Zakul. And Valkorian became powerless. When Valkorian absorbed Phelan's spirit on Odessin, their spirits became linked, and although Valkorian did this to draw upon his daughter's immense power, it also caused them to share weaknesses. Now, don't ask us why the code phrase still works, despite Valen being cleansed of her mental conditioning on Nathema earlier. In game, it's explained away as follows. Having regained full control of their mind, the commander could thus change the rule of their mind palace as they saw fit. Now, that sounds like a lazy explanation, even by Star Wars standards, but they didn't ask us. Anyway, the sudden loss of power shocked Falcorian, who was further cowed by Valen and Arcan. Valen attempted to retreat to the Eternal Throne, but was stopped by his ex, Sunya Taral, who had used Dramath's holocron to enter from the physical world just like Valen. Just like Arcan. In the physical world, we briefly see Arcan and Sinya meditating before a room of fallen skytroopers. Valkorian attempted to reassert his power, but he wasn't strong enough to defeat all four united against him. Staggering from injuries, Valkorian made one last attempt to overwhelm the commander's will, but was restrained by Arcan, Sinya, and Thexen. The commander then stabbed Valkorian through the heart with a lightsaber one last time. Valkorian's spirit screamed in agony before disappearing in a, bla in a burst of dark side energy. The commander, Arcan, and Sinya then awoke back in the physical world to find Valkorian's spirit had truly been destroyed. At that exact same moment across the galaxy, Kira Carson and Lord Scourge found and destroyed Valkorian's original Sith pureblood body. Scourge had known the body's location due to his time spent as the Emperor's Wrath. By destroying Valkorian's spirit and his physical remains, Valkorian's presence was permanently eradicated. No more host bodies or essence transfers was left were left, and Valkorian finally really died in late 3630. Valkorian's parting gift. Though he is really dead, Valkorian had one final fuck you to the galaxy. Unknown to even Scourge, the Sith Emperor had carved Sith runes into his original body that would release a plague in the event his original body was ever found and destroyed. The Sith Plague caused infected individuals to fall into a nightmarish sleep where their minds were slowly linked to other infected people, forming a dark side hive mind. However, this Sith Plague didn't infect anyone who had been possessed by the Sith Emperor's spirit, acting as a sort of vaccination. So when Scourge and Kira Carson destroyed Valkorian's original body, they were immune to the virus because they had been one of the children of the Emperor and the Emperor's Wrath, respectively. Though it did leave each of them comatose for more than a year until they were discovered and awakened in 3927 by Satel Shan and some young Jedi she was training. Satel left Odessin after helping the commander in 3631, following the call of the Force, which led her to begin reuniting the Jedi, rebuilding the High Temple on Coruscant, and training a new generation. Unfortunately for Shan and her young charges, they were immediately infested with the Sith Plague 
falling into a nightmare-filled sleep state where their mind slowly started forming a hive mind. Carson and Scourge quarantined Grandmaster Sean and her young Jenna in a single ship, placing them in stasis to hopefully stop the nightmares in the hive mind growth. Everything about the Sith Plague comes from the final story expansion onslaught, which we will cover next episode, but we place this here so we could say our final goodbye to Valkorion today, unless they do something like add more about him in a future Sotor content update, which seems likely if they release a new update. Epitaph. The malevolent dark side entity variously known as Valkorion, the Sith Emperor, Vitiate, and Tenebrae died his final death in late 3630 at the ripe old age of 1483. For reference, he's been alive, mostly working in the background, since our second episode of the show, episode 2.1, which was nearly two years ago in real life. Valkorion prolonged his life through dark side rituals like essence transfer, instilling part of his spirit and consciousness within hundreds of host bodies over his long life. At any given time, this included at least 20 children of the Emperor, the, the Emperor's voice host body, the Emperor's wrath, the Valkorion host body, the Sith Emperor host body that was killed by the hero of Tython, and even, even the entire population of Zyost and his original mummified remains. Even with his consciousness spread across dozens of beings, he was capable of controlling them simultaneously. This is evidenced by the fact that he ruled over the Sith, Empire, the Sith Empire and Eternal Empire simultaneously for hundreds of years. On two separate occasions, in 4999 on the Thema and 3637 on Zyost, he performed a dark side ritual that absorbed the energy of every living thing on the planet, making him ultra-powerful and nearly immortal. But he was only nearly immortal, and when his final host body, Valkorion, was killed in 3636, he could only survive as a spirit latched onto the commander's mind. His spirit survived for a further five years until finally, at long last, Valkorion's spirit and original body were both destroyed in late 3630. With no more host bodies left, left in the physical war, world, Valkorion's spirit faded into oblivion and he finally faced death, the thing he feared the most. Of course, he had one final fuck you to the galaxy, unleashing the Sith Plague upon the destruction of his original body, but now he's dead and we don't ever have to talk about Valkorion or the Sith Emperor or whatever you want to call him ever again. Unless Bioware releases another content patch that finishes up the Sith Plague questline, which seems likely given, Satil, given that Satil Shan is infected. The Eternal Alliance. Immediately following Valkorion's death, the commander Lana Benico, Theron Chan, and other Alliance leaders agreed to reorganize the Alliance into the Eternal Alliance. The Eternal Fleet and some of the Knights of Zakul were consolidated into the Eternal Alliance military, and the Eternal Throne was moved to Odessa. Finally, the Eternal Empire itself was merged into the Eternal Alliance, meaning that Zakul was ruled from Odessa. At this point, the commander was the most powerful figure in the galaxy by several orders of magnitude. They controlled the Eternal Fleet, the Alliance Fleet, the Gravestone, and the Alliance Grand Army. Alliance Commander further held considerable political power by virtue of their wide coalition of allies and the mandates derived from the defeat of the of Valkorion in the Eternal Empire. No other figure in the history of the Star Wars franchise ever wielded so much political and military power with the exception of Emperor Palpatine. 
But as we know, our commander is making light side choices, so we won't be turning into a warlord. Of course, power on this scale breeds enemies, and the Eternal Alliance had them in spades. The Galactic Republic and the Sith Empire each viewed the Eternal Alliance as a political rival that could turn them into vassals if they so chose, regardless of whether it was happening at the time. Besides, the Republic's last Jedi and the Sith needed the Alliance out of the way so that they could finish fighting each other again. The people of Zakul hated being ruled from Odessa after being the center of an empire for hundreds of years. With the reorganization into the Eternal Alliance, the Alliance revolt against the Eternal Empire was successfully concluded in 3630. However, it spawned two other conflicts, the Order of Zildraw campaign and the Third Galactic War, that will last until late 3626. These conflicts largely exist to dismantle story elements and plot devices that can't exist outside of the Sword or Bubble, like the Gravestone and the Eternal Alliance. Next time, all of these competing factors are going to come to a head as we conclude our series on SWOTOR. And with that, thank you for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we will tie up a bunch of loose ends and slam the reset button as we say goodbye to SWOTOR. You can follow us on Twitter at Photorpod or email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments and we will answer them on the show. I'm at AthertonKD on Twitter. And I'm Lucas and I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again and may the force be with you.